Deadwood Soundwell. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. Hi, welcome to Living with Your Dog. I'm Charlotte Pelt, Certified Dog Behavior Consultant. This is from PetMed. This is something that you can sign up for. It's a blog. It won't overload your mailbox, but they do come up with some good stuff. And this is about reverse sneezing in dogs. Reverse sneezing in dogs can be alarming if you've never experienced it before, but luckily it's not quite as scary as it sounds. Reverse sneezing occurs primarily in dogs, much less frequently in in cats. And here's what you need to know about reverse dog sneezing and what you can do to help stop it. Reverse sneezing or a backward sneeze can occur if a dog's soft palate becomes irritated. The soft palate of a dog is the muscular area of the back of the roof of the mouth that assists with vocalization, swallowing, and breathing. The irritation causes that soft palate muscle to spasm, which then narrows the trachea. The dog will extend their neck as they try to expand their chest to breathe, but the narrow trachea does not allow them to inhale a full breath of air. The dog will then forcefully attempt to inhale through their nose, which causes the dog to backward sneeze. So what does it sound like? It sounds like a dog is actually inhaling their sneezes, hence that name reverse sneezing came about. It's a loud snorting sound that can sometimes sound like a goose honking. The first few episodes of reverse sneezing that a dog has can be scary if you've never heard it before. And that's why it's best to have your dog evaluated by a veterinarian to determine if it's simply a reverse sneeze or something more concerning, such as coughing or choking. If possible, take a video of the episode to show your veterinarian. And if you have any concern that your dog may be choking, call your vet immediately. Unfortunately, the chances of you being able to video it are slim and numb because it will usually last only about 30 seconds or less. So it, it may feel like a lot longer. Okay, what causes it? Dogs reverse sneeze for similar reasons that they sneeze normally or cough, which is to expel an irritant. A regular sneeze helps expel an irritant in the nasal cavity. Coughing helps expel irritants located further down in the trachea. A reverse sneeze is the body's way of expelling an irritant that's slightly further down at the nasopharynx area of the soft palate. Some possible causes of irritation of the soft palate that result in reverse sneezing include allergies, household products, perfume, cleaning products, air fresheners, which you shouldn't be using anyhow, pulling on the leash when attached to a collar. And that's always uh, a huge issue. Um, I think that particularly with small dogs whose tracheas are far more sensitive, it seems, they shouldn't be in collars when they're walking. They should be in harnesses so that there's no pressure on the neck. And a lot of uh, big dogs can be in harnesses. And there are quite a number of of no-pull harnesses available for the larger dogs. Okay, another uh, cause is overexcitement, exercise intolerance. Objects in the throat area, such as a foreign body or a mass, nasal mites, elongated soft palate, common in brachycephalic breeds. You know, there's another reason why those pushed-in faces are not a good thing. Or breeds with shortened snouts. Again, same, basically the same thing. Yeah. And eating and drinking can cause it, which, of course, is kind of ridiculous since they have to eat and drink all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is the treatment? Reverse sneezing does not require medication or treatment and is typically a fairly benign process in your dog as long as it is infrequent. If the dog has never had an episode before, they should see a veterinarian to ensure that it's actually reverse sneezing and not something else. 
if the episodes become more frequent or severe, consult a vet to evaluate the underlying cause. They will likely perform chest x-rays and possibly rhinoscopy where a camera is inserted in the nasal cavity and throat to look for any abnormalities. There are a variety of different tricks to try to get the episode of reverse sneezing to stop. Some suggest briefly covering the nostrils to cause the dog to swallow, which then helps get rid of the irritant that caused the episode. You can also try massaging your dog's throat, which could then dislodge or soothe the irritation in that area. If the problem is chronic, a veterinarian would have to diagnose the underlying cause and provide appropriate treatments such as antihistamine for allergies, which really doesn't work very well for dogs, and antiparasitic for nasal mites, or the removal of a foreign material. And it, it is a funny sound. I've heard it. And uh, you don't forget it once you have heard it. <laughs> I can see that being kind of scary, too, though. Yes. Yeah. And they look like they're struggling. Yeah. Um, but in general, it doesn't last for very long. It's just that if you should be aware, as this suggests, that if it becomes frequent, you need to have it investigated by a veterinarian. That's just not, not the way to go. So it's okay. a natural thing, and it's a it's a it's like a short phase that the dog will go through. Like when we have a sneeze or something, we sneeze for a little bit, yeah. and it's over. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that but if kind it, of it's, yeah. But if it lasts longer, it could be something else. Check with the vet. Yeah, or if okay. it repeats too often. Okay. For sure. Okay, pet food news. This is in Nom Nom Now sells to Mars Pet Care. Now, remember, Mars is this huge international association, and you may already know that I'm no fan of something like that dealing with dog feed. Now, this is from Susan Fixton, who's the truth about dog food. She's got her thumb on the pulse of the pet feed food industry. So she says, the shocking announcement, this shopping announcement was published in Bloomberg News. Mars to buy pet food brand Nom Nom in one $1 billion deal. Billion. A Mars pet care representative stated Nom Nom will be an autonomous brand within Mars Royal Canin division, end of quote, $1 billion. The Bloomberg story stated Mars is purchasing Nom Nom for $1 billion. It's a tiny company compared to Mars brands. Nom Nom has only five different pet food products, four dog food products and one cat food product. A $1 billion price tag for only five different varieties. Or is there more to the purchase? The Nom Nom Now website states, we only use whole food ingredients processed in the United States of America and fit for human consumption. Mm. But the Nom Nom website does not clarify if supplements are human grade or if manufacturing standards meet human food safety requirements. Again, from what I have read, you cannot trust what's written on a website that is not policed. Okay, because Nom Nom Now does not make human grade claim on their label, we can only assume that the pet food does not fully meet the legal requirements of a human grade pet food. To be clear, for a pet food to make human grade claim on its label or in marketing, regulations require 100% human edible ingredients, 100% human edible supplements, and manufactured in a licensed human food facility under constant USDA inspection. With pet food regulations, a human-grade label, label claim is all or nothing. A pet food must meet all of the legal requirements or they cannot claim human-grade on their label. Unfortunately for pet owners, the only guarantee we have to qualify 
the true quality uh, the quality of ingredients in any pet food is the full requirement of human-grade pet food. When a pet food is manufactured under constant USDA inspection, we are guaranteed every ingredient and supplement is human edible. The USDA inspector does not allow any inedible ingredient on manufacturing premises. Mm-hmm. When a pet food is manufactured in a pet food facility, there is no legal requirement for a USDA inspector to oversee the manufacturing process or provide us assurances all ingredients are human grade. In fact, the FDA openly allows non-human grade pet foods to utilize very inferior ingredients, including illegal animal waste, diseased animals, or animals that have died other than by slaughter. Manufacturers claim human grade ingredients on their website or in correspondence to pet owners, but no regulatory authority validates these claims. This could be very misleading. Again, there that there's that bit about the website. You cannot trust what's on the website. Okay, such as Mars Petcor claims. Cesar Pet Foods is a, this is quote, gourmet, gourmet wet dog food, end of quote. However, an inspection of a Mar Cesar manufacturing facility found the plant failed to minimize deterioration of pet food raw ingredients, and documents showed the pet food plant was infested with roaches in the food production area. Wow. Is millions of roaches and deterioration of ingredients actually gourmet? And keep in mind, there is no definition of the word gourmet. <laughs> there is none. Okay. Okay. Will Mars Pet Care and their lobby group, Pet Food Institute, influence changes in the existing legal standards of human grade pet food? The legal standards of human grade pet food have been in discussion at AFCO for the last couple of years. More discussion is planned for the next meeting happening next week from when this was written in Mobile, Alabama, as the largest manufacturer of pet food in the world. Mars Pet Care certainly has influence with trade associations and in turn influence with the regulatory authorities of AAFCO. She says we will continue to watch what AAFCO does for human grade pet food requirements, especially now. Okay, will it matter to pet owners that Mars will own Nom Nom? Back in 2010, the Procter & Gamble company purchased Natura Pet Foods, at the time one of the most respected pet foods in the United States. Consumers and retailers that trusted the Natura brand since it began were horrified and refused to purchase or with retailers carry the product after the P&G purchase. Four years later, P&G sold Natura to Mars in 2014, and today the brand doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. Only time will tell if pet owners will trust Nom Nom after the Mars purchase or if history will repeat itself and the sale will destroy the brand. What do you think? If you're a customer of Nom Nom now, will you continue to purchase the pet food after the Mars purchase of the company? How much can Mars Pet Care own? Per the Mars website, the company owns, and this is not a complete list, she says, and this is very frightening as far as I'm concerned. This is Mars. Banfield Pet Hospitals, the BCA Pet Hospitals, Blue Pearl Pet Hospitals, Anacura Pet Hospitals, Linnaeus Pet Hospitals, BSH Pet Hospitals, Pedigree Pet Food, Royal Canaan Pet Food, Whiskas Pet Food, Iams Pet Food, Neutro Pet Food, Dreamy's Cat Treats, Sheba Cat Food, Cesar Dog Food, Temptations Cat Treats, Eukanuba Pet Food, Greenies Dog Treats, Aquarium Fish Food, API Fish Products, Buckeye Horse Feed, Spillers Horse Feed, Winergy Horse Feed, Wisdom Panel Canine DNA Tests, Whistle Pet Tracking Device, 
Leap Venture Studio, Companion Fund, Kinship, and Waltham Pet Care Science Institute. Does that give you a lot of warm fuzzies? That's all owned by Mars. Okay. When will we reach a point of Mars Pet Care owning too much of the pet-related businesses, or have we passed that point? As far as I'm concerned, you passed the point a long time ago. Are pets put in jeopardy with one privately held company owning veterinary hospitals, veterinary labs, and multiple pet food brands? I'd say so. I would definitely say so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you take, you've got your, your dog in at the vets, your stacks of food that come from Mars, directly or indirectly, your dog gets sick on one of those food products. Do you think your vet is going to be leaping all over Mars about it? I seriously doubt it. I really seriously doubt it. I don't think that's likely to happen. Yeah. Okay. So back to this again with the food. Easy to protein ratio helps detect inferior meat content in dog food. Okay. And it shows uh, two pictures. Um, one is a great big healthy hunk look of piece of meat. And the, the other is, well, it's just a bunch of fatty stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, the question is, what was used to make your dog's food? It's hard to believe that on a pet food label, each of the ingredients shown above can legally be called meat. One is cut from fresh lean beef, while the other consists of patty trimmings sourced from slaughterhouse waste. So how can you tell which one was used to make your dog's food? The fat-to-protein ratio may help reveal the answer. The fat-to-protein ratio is a number calculated from info found on every food label. It's used by the, the dog food advisor to help detect excessive levels of fatty meat hidden in a pet food. Best of all, you can calculate it yourself. Don't worry. She says, it, it's easy. I'll show you. Mm-hmm. Okay. How to calculate FPR fat to protein yourself. Look for the crude fat and crude protein numbers found in the guaranteed analysis section of every pet food label. Grab a simple handheld calculator and one divide the amount of fat by the amount of protein and multiply that number by 100 and voila, you got the fat to protein ratio expressed as a percentage. If you'd rather not calculate FBR yourself, you can get it, find it already done for you in every review that we post online. And that's the um, dog, food, uh, dog Food Facebook. Okay. So you simply find your dog's food on our Reviews by Brand page and the Nutrition Analysis section, and you'll find the factor protein ratio like this. The dashboard displays dry matter protein reading of 27% a fat level of 16% and estimated carbohydrates of about 50%. As a group, the brand features an average protein content of 26% and a mean fat level of 15%. Together, these figures suggest a carbohydrate content of 51%. That's a lot of carbs, folks, for the overall product line, and a fat-to-protein ratio of about 57%. And what does that FDR tell you? In general, the higher the FBR, the more likely the food contains an excessive amount of fatty ingredients when compared to the amount of protein in that recipe. But don't take FBR literally. It's a relative indicator, not an exact measurement. It's like using your hand to test the temperature of the water in your bathtub. It tells you only if it's too hot. It doesn't reveal the actual temperature. 
So meat with above average fat to protein ratio. So don't use IPR to microanalyze or compare dog foods. That's not its purpose. You're looking for outliers, recipe with crazy high FPR numbers, numbers that are outside the range of normal and suggest the likelihood that the food was made with excessive amounts of fatty waste. And what's a normal FPR can range anywhere from 30% to over 100%. As a result, as a rule, the average FBR for both wet and dry foods appears to be about 55%. Keep in mind, the majority of dog foods will have FBRs below 80%, with most dry products hovering around 70% or lower. Wet dog foods are typically the most frequent offenders. It's not unusual for some to have FBRs in the upper range. We tend to be suspicious of any dog food with an FBR that's north of 80%, and we routinely reject recipes with FBRs that are 90% or higher, which is why you won't find any recipes with extreme FBR numbers on our best dog food pages. So what's the FDR for your favorite brand? Visit the advisor's reviews by brand page and check out the FDR on your dog's current food. Now, this is written by Mike Sagman, editor of the Dog Food Advisor, saving good dogs from bad dog food. So there are ways that we can determine what it is we're feeding our dogs. Sadly enough, I think the chances of, of everybody having heard me read that I'd be surprised if one person follows up. <laughs> I, I just don't think people will do it. Uh, we're inclined to be in a hurry. We're inclined to have a lot on our plates. We have to work for a living, most of us. Um, we get casual. After all, it can't be too big a problem. Look at all these dogs that are eating this stuff after all. So we accept things that we shouldn't be accepting. We are we're being fooled a lot of the time. But presenting the information and how to evaluate it isn't the answer. I wish I knew what the answer is, but it isn't the answer. And you know, I found it interesting the other day. I found uh, somebody that um, they do give their dog um, a, a turkey neck for breakfast, but they're giving the dog kibble at night. And the comment was, well, our vet seems he looks very good, so we're not going to worry about it. That's the way we're going to handle it. And I'm thinking, really, really, you know, you go into the vet's office and there are piles and, and stacks of dog feed packages of this stuff that they're selling. Do you really think that that vet is going to say, oh, you shouldn't be feeding that dry food to your dog? Really? You really think that's likely to happen? I mean, get real, folks. So that he's just, he's checking, he's, He's um, supporting or is feeling supported by his veterinarian telling him that his dog looks look great. Um, really? Really? And I'm sure that in this particular case, I would be willing to bet money that the chances of processed food being a regular in that household is slim and none. I would guess that maybe on football day, there'd be some potato chips with the beer, but I doubt seriously that they eat any processed food and they don't hesitate to give it to their dog every single day. Right? Uh, it's disappointing. It's very disappointing. It, it really is. It's very disappointing. And, and I don't see, I don't see the changes happening the way I'd like to see them happening. There's no question, but what there's no question, but what people have become a lot more aware 
And there have been many more efforts to clean up the pet feed industry. It's still there. And pedigree is not going to go out of business anytime soon. We can be assured of that. (laughs) Uh, And if with the Mars company handling it, they've got the money to back it up. So it's not going to go away soon. But but there have been changes. And there's more effort on the part of small companies to provide higher quality, which is sort of a conundrum, but but yes, it is higher quality products for those people who don't want it to be 75% carbohydrates. But people don't recognize, you know, they're silly enough, uninformed enough, ignorant enough to think, okay, it's grain-free, so it's got to be better. Wrong. There's nothing wrong with grain-free compared to uh, having grains in it. It's it's still loaded with carbohydrates. If it's dry, it has to have carbohydrates. That's, there's no way for it to stay in the, in that little shape and form unless there are all the carbs to hold it together. And and people, you know, it's just amazing. They just don't get it. You know, it's just, I don't understand it. Well, as you said before, uh, you know, like the vets, people have their lives. They're busy. They leave yeah. these sort of decisions to other people and are yeah. comfortable with that. And, you know, we can't really blame them because, again, we've all been brainwashed to, to I, think that this yeah. stuff is good. Now, I, I, I do want to mention on this uh, fat to protein ratio, I do understand that that's important because we don't want to be giving our dogs too much fat. But I'd be more afraid of all the other junk that is in that dry Absolutely. dog feed. And I think we talked about it before that. Remember, whatever is listed as b- below salt on the package. So you're on the front of the package, you're going to see blueberries and strawberries and carrots and green beans and all this wonderful stuff. And if you look on the back of the package, you'll see that they show up after salt. And salt is a requirement, but anything after salt is in the trace level quantity wise that's in there. And, and, and the control over what the packaging shows changed years ago. It was a requirement that the packaging reflected the ingredients in the bag. That's no longer true. I think it goes all the way back to 2007, I think, that that, that the ruling for that requirement was just sort of tossed to the side. Don't need that anymore. I wonder how that happened. I wonder. I mean, gee whiz. Could that be maybe lobbyists from big dog feed companies? I would suspect that it's follow the money. No question about it. Exactly. Yeah. And there's no question about it. So it's it is I think that to me finding an alternative medicine veterinarian is very important. I think that we have to have a much better understanding and respect for the value of nutrition. How valuable good nutrition is from every angle you can possibly imagine. That it boils down to that on every level I can think of. It's health-wise, it's behavior-wise. I remember many, many years ago when I was in Mexico, I was training and I had dog training classes. And there was somebody that came with a dog they'd recently adopted. And it was a nice little dog. It really was. Um, and it was behaving very nicely. Uh, and he came to class one day and the dog was really strange. I mean, just yapping and and busy, 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 busy. And 
I said, you know, what's happening this week? And I, I couldn't figure out. And I, I don't know why I asked, but I said, what are you feeding the dog? She had switched to something over the counter from the supermarket. And the dog was getting a sugar high. Oh, wow. Yeah, that <laughs> that totally makes sense. Like when I'm a, when you were a kid and you ate a, a candy bar before class and then you just like, yeah totally disrupt the class and you're all aggro and yeah can't, can't yeah. learn can't focus that's right yeah yeah it was it was food that made the change in that dog and i didn't know diddly squat in those days about dog feed dog food and certainly oh, this in was before your switch oh yeah yeah okay. this was because early on in mexico i was feeding dog feed that I bought in the stores and that was it. You know, I was following that rule of don't add anything. You'll ruin the, the balance. You know, this is well-balanced right. stuff and you've got to feed it that way. And it, it was a long time after that, that, that I started to change things, but there weren't, there weren't very many choices with dog feed food in those days in Mexico. It would be the kind of thing where you'd have to, you know, do it yourself. And I can remember there were uh, groups. Usually they were, Americans that put on free spay neuter clinics several times a year. And usually there would be doctors and their, their uh, doctor aides that came down from the United States, in addition to local vets that would get together for uh, two days of free um, spay neuters. And I can, the, the people had to bring their, their dogs and the cats were in a separate room, which was very smart. It, and they, these were people that might have to wait from eight o'clock in the morning until four o'clock when their chance came up. There were no appointments allowed. And there was they would be in maybe a, a gymnasium or some large schoolroom. And there would be maybe eight or ten operating tables around the room. And on the floor were cardboard boxes flattened out with with towels on them and rugs. And after the dogs would have the surgery, they'd be put down on the, the rug with a towel to cover them. And their owner had to be there stroking them and observing them until they were able to stand up and walk away. And I would, I would talk with the people and um, these were, these were poor people. These were people that, that didn't have very much. And I talked with them about what they were feeding and well, they were surely feeding pedigree. I mean, that's really very good. You know, we're, we're feeding pedigree lucky. And I, I'd say, well, do you, do you sometimes get uh, chicken feet? Yeah, yeah, we do. I said, well, you might you know, it'd be a really nice idea if you, if you gave your dog some of those chicken feet now and then. And I said, how about eggs? Can you afford eggs? Oh, yeah, we can. How about maybe once a week or so, give your dog an egg. And I wasn't telling them not to feed that stuff, but trying to get them to go over that place of what the vets are saying is don't don't feed anything extra because you'll ruin the balance. That they would get something a little bit extra in there that would improve the health of these dogs considerably, and um, and you know these were caring, loving people. And I, I, one of the things that I found particularly interesting was when it first started, it was only women that came in with bitches to be spayed. Okay, that was those those were the, the primary people that brought their dogs in for the surgery. As time passed, I can remember seeing a teenage boy with his male dog that had been neutered on the floor with his puppy. That's a huge change with awareness. A teenage boy letting his dog get cut. Yikes. 
So it, it had really changed considerably over a period of years. And one of the things that was was evident is that the veterinarians were called matapero. You take your vet, they kill your dog. It's, it's like that old story. If you go to a hospital, you go to a hospital, you die. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And of course, by the time people often went to the hospital, they were beyond saving, but it was the hospital that killed them. <laughs> and by the time you got your dog to the vet, there was nothing the vet could do for the dog. So it was mata perro. It was kill a dog. Yeah. So it was interesting to see how those things, those things changed with time and education and awareness that we went from just women bringing in the bitches to guys bringing in their dogs. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. It was interesting. It was very interesting. And it was very interesting that there were, there were um, veterinarians that came down from the United States and it was like, like doctors without frontiers. There were some vets that, that made it a point to go to foreign countries to, um, to work there during you know clinics and so on um they they really gave a lot of themselves to spreading the word and helping in the, any way they could yeah so living with your dog living with your dog living with your dog with charlotte okay how about something else from pet med uh this is it's a common misconception <clears throat> that our feline friends are not affectionate creatures Yes, it's true that earning the love of a cat is not always easy, but when a cat begins to show trust and adoration for you, there's often no better feeling of accomplishment. Their furry counterparts' dogs are much more open with their love through licking, wagging tails, constant and sometimes overbearing attention, and obvious come-play-with-me body language. Cats are more subtle in showing their love, but that does not mean that the shared bond between cats and humans is any less than with dogs. It just means that you'll need to work harder to understand your cat's love language and boundaries <laughs> in order to build trust. So 12 signs, your cat loves you. Body language is most important when understanding how a cat shows love. And here are some common signs that your cat loves you. Slow blinking, number one. Eyes are said to be the windows to the soul. With some animal species, <clears throat> eye contact should be avoided as it can be interpreted as being aggressive. You never want to meet direct eye, eye, eye contact with some Rottweiler approaching on the street. Okay, <clears throat> not just Rottweilers, but dogs in general that particularly have um, guarding and protective instincts. Cats, on the other hand, use eye can contact with their people to show adoration and often only directly look into the eyes of those that they trust and love. <clears throat> they often will make eye contact with lowered eyelids and steady, slow blinks. This is considered a feline version of a kiss, and you can even try slow blinking to show love back to the cats. Two, headbutting. Your cat may bump their head against you or rub their cheeks against you to show affection. It's a social behavior that is formed in kittenhood through headbutting other kittens and their mother. It's often an attempt to mark you with their scent, to claim you as one of their own. It helps cats bond together and is offered to their humans to show love. Three, grooming. Cats groom each other as a display of affection, and this behavior will extend to humans when trust is built. Cats will often lick their people or allow them to brush them. Licking is similar to the grooming they would perform on their feline friends and allows for marking each other. But keep in mind, those cat dogs are, are really pretty rough. So it's, <laughs> yeah, they're scratchy. <laughs> they're a little scratchy compared to dogs. <laughs> grooming builds a bond between cat and human. Just be certain to watch for fast tail swishing and listen for any growling or hissing because grooming, especially with brushing, can be overstimulating 
if it's forceful or it goes on for too long. Now, by the time you hear growling, you're, you're in trouble, folks. <laughs> <clears throat> Four, kneading. Cats usually knead with their front paws. This is a behavior that begins in kittenhood and is associated with nursing on their mother. Kneading is believed to bring comfort and perhaps endorphins to the brain after nursing has ceased. Relaxed cats that need are showing contentment, and they will often need when you gently pet or stroke them. Sometimes cats need to create a softer sleeping spot, which is considered an innate behavior. Five, showing their belly. This is often considered the ultimate sign of trust for a cat. Cats only lie on their backs and show their bellies if they are in the most relaxed state. I just lost something here. Okay. Um, This is not an invitation to pet or rub your cat's belly, though. No, 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 no. Don't go there. They are simply communicating that they feel comfortable and safe enough to reveal one of their most vulnerable parts of their body. If you go in for a belly rub, be careful because your cat might retaliate with a bite or scratch. Meowing. Cats will often give us short, quiet meows when we speak slowly and softly to them, and they feel comfortable. If the meow gets longer and drawn out or turns to hisses, that is a sign that your kitty has had enough interaction. And it's my understanding that cats only meow where it concerns human beings they do not meow they howl and that sort of thing but they don't meow from one cat to another it's something reserved for interaction with people that's crazy yeah i I never thought about that but i've never seen a cat meow at another cat yeah yeah only hiss and stuff right and purring number seven cats often purr to show contentment when they're resting near you or when you're petting them they may also purr when they're nervous and But this is often paired with different body language, such as laying their ears back, putting their head down, fast tail swishing, or hiding. Eight, greeting you at the door. Your cat is trying to show you that they missed you when they greet you at the door. This is often followed by walking in between your legs, curling their tail around your legs. Sometimes it's also accompanied by meowing and rattletail behavior, where your cat will shake their tail quickly. This is your cat's way of welcoming you home. They may also be telling you something more important, like they're ready to eat, (laughs) (laughs) that they need fresh water or their litter box need to be cleaned. So be sure to check those things. Nine, following you. Cats will also often follow those they love and trust around the home or even outdoors if your kitty is an outdoor cat. It is similar to the greeting at your front door when they follow behind you and keep you in sight at all times. They may also weed around your legs. 10. Tail language. Cats often use their tails to express adoration for their owners. A content cat will often hold their tail in an upright position with a C-shape or hook at the very top. They may slowly wag their tail back and forth and allow it to touch you when they are lying next to you. Sometimes they will even rattle their tail while walking when they are very happy to see you. 11. Bringing you presents. (laughs) Cats are hunters at heart. A cat that is allowed outdoors will continue this hunting behavior by killing rodents and birds, which is why we don't want them out there, and bringing their remains back to their humans as a gift. Though this may turn your stomach, it truly is a sign of love and pride. Your cat wants to reward you for your love. Indoor cats will often do this with toys or objects since they do not have the option to hunt live game. And 12, sleeping near you. A cat who chooses to sleep on or close to you is showing their love and trust in you. Even if they choose to lie just out of reach for petting, this means they feel safe and trust that you will protect them or they will protect you if danger appears. Cats show love in many ways. Their body language, behaviors, and vocalizations often tell us a lot about their level of trust and adoration. Acknowledging and understanding these behaviors can help build a strong, loving bond with your cat. A cat's love is not always too easy to gain, but once trust is built, there is no better relationship. That's pretty cool, huh? That is cool. That makes a lot of sense. But hey, how do we know 
that when a cat leaves a dead thing on my porch, how do I know it's actually a gift? How do we know that? Just that it's bringing it back to you that it happened. Otherwise, it would have eaten it or left it where it was. That's a presumption. It's a presumption. Totally, totally. You know, it could have been uh, surprised. It was in the process of eating and you open the door and it's like, okay, I guess I'll leave this and go back inside. So you have to be have to be aware of the, the circumstances that surrounded the issue. Because we've and, talked about that with dogs, too. And I do, if I remember correctly, you said dogs do not do that. They don't leave us gifts. I haven't seen that happen. Um, I haven't seen that. Now, with cats, again, it would depend on the circumstances. If you have a really strong relationship with your kitty and this happens, then I would associate it with a, a gift, uh, an expression of love. But if you don't have a, a really good relationship with your cat, I'd suspect that that, that dead bird out there or whatever it is, is has nothing to do with loving you. And, that's, you know, and they kill reportedly millions of birds a year are killed by cats living outdoors. So it's not a good idea for it's, I think cats enjoy being outdoors. There's no question about it. But if you're going to have a cat and you want them to have outdoors, then I think what you have to do is build a cube of wired material so that they can be outdoors, but not escape and be wild so that they can enjoy walking around out there. And some people find that uh, if you're really handy or you've got the money, putting like a, a, a wire enclosed tunnel on the top of a fence that they can wander around on the top right. of the fence and uh, and they have the opportunity to wander around and and see different areas but they can't be loose enough to cause any damage or uh, to uh, you know it's wonderful if they're if they're taking care of the rodents but not so great if they're taking care of the birds right wow <laughs> i like how they said uh we need to understand the love our cat's love language yeah <laughs> yeah, and it's true okay I'll, it I'll is know. yeah okay because it, it, it's a little as she said it's a little bit more difficult than the love language of our dog yes it is um and again we need to be reminded they're not dogs in a slightly different shape they are a totally different creature and it's it's really important to remember that they they should not be treated in any way like dogs. They used to be treated like cats. Now here's something else about cats from Companion Animal Psychology, Dr. Zazie Todd. Pet cats prefer food from a bowl rather than a food puzzle, the study finds. And this guest post is by for Catherine Cronin. She said, one morning last summer, I fed Barley his dog food, as I usually do, half in his bowl and half in a knobby pineapple-shaped toy that he has to nose around the floor to release food little by little. Although this time I was in a hurry and I provided him both the bowl and the silly-looking pineapple at the same time, placing the pineapple next to the ball as I turned away to start making breakfast for my daughters. A moment later, I heard the sound of the pineapple bumping around the kitchen floor and pieces of gibble scattering out. At first, I was surprised Barley had chosen to work for his food by tossing the pineapple around rather than just eating the same food out of his bowl. And then I smiled to myself as I realized Barley had just demonstrated a phenomenon known by many animals, the preference to work for food when the same food is freely available. And scientists have named this contra-free loading. It's one word. (laughs) And it's a curious phenomenon because theories of animal behavior predict that animals should minimize the energy they spend and maximize the energy they gain. Doing so should help them maintain strength and produce more offspring. So this behavior should be under strong selection 
uh, pressure over generations. But when animals contra freeload, choose not to freeload, choose to work for their food, they're spending extra energy. Contra freeloading first caught the attention of scientists in the 1960s when studies showed that laboratory rats preferred to press a lever to obtain food pellets rather than eat from a food dish. Since then, contra freeloading has been reported in dozens of species, including chimpanzees, chickens, grizzly bears, wolves, giraffes, and pigs. Yet, for some reason, the only species to consistently buck the trend is the domestic cat. Cat's preference for freely available food was first demonstrated in the 1970s, again in a laboratory. Recently, Dr. Miguel Delgado questioned whether that finding, so out of line with the research and all other species, may have been due to the laboratory cats being more hungry and their hunger level tipping them away from contrafeeding. In some previous studies, research it's found that contrafeeding freeloading decreases when animals are very hungry. So Delgado and her colleagues from the University of California, Davis, set up an experiment to test for contra freeloading and 20 well-fed, healthy pet cats residing in people's homes. The researchers gave the cat owners a puzzle feeder that required cats to scoop food out of tunnels and compartments using their paws and one simple round plastic feeding dish. Cats were only included in the study if they knew how to get food from the puzzle. A cat presented with two feeding options, the puzzle feeder that requires work and a dish of food that does not require work. And there was an image of each of these two things. Owners simply provided half the food in the puzzle and half the food in the dish, just like I did for barley that morning, and left both available for 30 minutes a few times per day. A camera was set up on the toy and dish for the researchers to review, and owners weighed the amount of food that started and remained in both the puzzle and the feeding dish. What did they find? Cats were not contra freeloaders. They were freeloaders. Not a single cat, <laughs> not a single cat preferred to eat food from the food puzzle more than from the dish. All but two cats did eat from the puzzle from time to time, but overall, the dish was strongly preferred. When discussing the results, the other said something that I thought I would make cat owners smile. In general, cats appear to conserve energy to the greatest extent possible, minimizing the amount of time and effort required to meet their caloric requirements. <laughs> wow. So why are cats behaving differently than other animals? The authors suggest that cats may be different from other animals, perhaps having something to do with their specific predatory hunting style. But they also consider that more previous research has happened in more sterile, boring laboratory environments. Perhaps finding ways to work for food is something animals do more often when they feel understimulated or bored. Then it wouldn't be such a curious behavior after all if working for food served the purpose of mental stimulation, especially in cases where an excess of food is available to support survival and reproduction. Does this information help us help animals? Was Barley bored that morning that he surprised me by choosing the pineapple toy? I've repeated the offer to Barley several times over recent months. There are days he chooses a food bowl over the pineapple toy. If I were taking systematic data on Barley, are you surprised I'm not? I guess that it would show he chooses the bowl more often. But does his choice on a given day tell me anything about how he's feeling at that time? Could this be a new way to ask animals how they are feeling? To advance animal welfare and find out more ways to help animals thrive in our care, we need more ways to ask them how they are feeling. I'm taking this line of thinking a bit further than the current silence, but perhaps the relationship between contra freeloading and animal emotions is something to explore as we try to understand how animals feel and how we can help them thrive in our care. And this was posted originally by Dr. Catherine Cronin in Animals and Us blog. And the first author 
Uh, Dr. Mikel Delgado writes a pretty great blog about cat behavior and science, what your cat wants. So, and Dr. Cronin is an animal welfare scientist and writer interested in the experiences of animals and how we help them thrive. And I think that's, that's pretty interesting that, that um, again, cats are different. There's no question. Now, they're, they are a different kind of critter. And it's, it's interesting to see what, how important it is for us to learn that, you know, it's not, it's not like we're going to add a kitty just because they're cute. We need to be recognizing that it's a different species and we're not going to treat them the way we, we treat dogs. And I think it's, it's a misunderstanding that cats cannot be happy remaining in the house, but it's much, much more difficult for them to be happy in the house without the outdoor stimulation. So it requires a lot of cat trees, different uh, elevations, different ways that they can look. I think it's it's very beneficial if they can look out at the window and see the birds, put a feeder outside of the window where they can look and see the birds, um, maybe even a small aquarium so they can watch the fish, be sure that they can't get their paws in there and catch them. <laughs> <laughs> so there are many ways to do that. Um, different um, textures for paw, uh, uh, sharpening their claws and you have to find a pref the way that's a preference for your cat. I remember seeing one really great arrangement that somebody had set up in a what happened to be a spare room and they brought in a, a section of a tree that had been eliminated some you know smaller branches but it gave the cat a number of le different levels to climb on and use their their paws to you know their claws to sharpen and they were just so much happier they had all of these different surfaces to to uh, to deal with but the cat trees are wonderful that they have hideaways and they have different levels and one thing i found when i was uh, babysitting my daughter's cats is um, i'm i'm no fan of kibble for cats but that's what she was feeding and I would take the kibble instead of putting it in their bowls. I put it on the different levels of their cat trees and toss it around the room so that they had to go find the stuff. Um, and I felt that that was at least giving them something to do. <laughs> but that was kind of making them work for their food. So that yeah. was kind of training them to be contra freeloaders. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But it probably didn't work because cats don't really care about it. It's so funny. And I love that we learned a new term today, contra freeloading. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and just thinking about it, it seems opposite, right? It seems like the cat would be willing to work more than the dog. I don't know. Just it, for some reason, that's what I think because, you know, dogs are like to be lazy and chill out. Well, I guess cats do too. I don't know. It's That's, that's interesting that dogs are... Well, dogs want to please humans, so that makes sense. So dogs are willing to work for their food, and cats don't really care what we do. So right. they, <laughs> yeah. they're all about themselves they, they, and conserving they, their they, energy. They do care. They do care, but but they care on a different level. And you know, the reality is that they still, most of them, not all of them, but they still can survive if they got locked out and never permitted in a house again. Their hunting instincts are definitely still intact. Now, we do have brachycephalic cats that would have a very hard time. We have cats that are just not able to do that any longer. But it's it's true that there there's almost no dog that you can turn loose that can survive well in outdoors. They they are 
they, first of all, they didn't evolve as hunters. They evolved as scavengers. And if they've not learned how to go raid the, the neighbor's garbage can or whatever, they're not going to make it. They just, they just don't make it. There's no question about it. So we're, we're talking in terms of there's such a difference between these two species that it's, it's really important for us to be reminding dog and cat owners that they must be aware of these differences and not treat them like little dogs. That's just not what they are. Okay. <laughs> and here's, um, before we finish up with this, five ways to promote kidney health in your dog and cat. And this is Barbara Royal, Doctor of Veterinary Medicine. And here are some foods, herbs, and supplements that can benefit dogs and cats in need of extra kidney support in five ways you can use them. The different parts of a dog or cat's body must function well together in order to maintain vibrant health. Each system interlinks and plays a vital role in the animal's vibrant, active, happy, and hopefully long life. To better support your dog or cat's kidneys, it's important to gain a deeper understanding of which foods, herbs, and supplements help this organ and body system thrive. Let's take a look at some of these elements and how you can use them to promote kidney health in your animal companion. One, prioritize hydration and circulation. Eating, providing proper fluid and electrolyte balance is key to supporting the health of the kidneys. In most cases, hydration can be improved with moisture-appropriate fresh foods and baths. And that's why we're talking in terms of the kibble is not the answer. It is the cause of the problems. It's not a solution. And But never the um, that moist stuff that comes in packages. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about moisture that's in fresh food. Okay. Okay. Heat processed dried kibble foods require that the body provide fluid to properly digest, move, and absorb the nutrients. Typically, after a dry food meal, an animal will become very thirsty. And this thirst means the body feels dehydration from using body fluid for digestion, which can stress the kidneys. Foods that, that maintain natural moisture in their structure are less likely to cause this stressful dehydration as they are digested with the proper appropriate moisture on a cellular level. And of course, raw meaty bones diet, the moisture is there in the, in the meat. Drinking, of course, a full water bowl is important, but we can also increase consumption of basic food by using meat broths. Mm -hmm. And animals will drink a more of a natural and nutritious liquid if it tastes delicious. Another thing that I've, I've discovered over a period of time is cats very much like running water. There are little fountains yeah. that are made for your cats, and they enjoy playing in it, but they also like drinking from it. Circulation support. Certain ingredients promote healthy circulation and help clear impurities. For instance, light doses of dandelion root and Romania radix have been helpful to support circulation in the kidneys. Feed appropriate food, protein. Many people believe that a low-protein diet can prevent kidney disease, but research has not fully proven this. This makes sense since dogs and cats rely on proteins for their healthy bodily functions because most commercial kibble dog and cat diets are typically very low in protein, most average less than 30%, and are too high in inflammatory carbs, typically over 40%. Limiting the protein even further can cause more harm than good. Three, provide anti-inflammatory and antioxidant support. Animals with kidney disease are likely to have inflammation through non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs. Can, uh, they can damage the kidneys further and should be avoided. There are many other ways to combat inflammation. Decrease digestible carbohydrates, which increase insulin and inflammation in the body. 
provide natural herbs that have been shown to balance immune responses and do not damage kidneys. Ginkgo biloba, Romanidae, Radix, Omega-3, I'm a big pusher of Omega-3, Inositol, green tea extracts, turmeric, etc. Taurine has been shown to have possible cytoprotective effects in the kidney cells. Four, micronutrients in balance. Talk to your better animal nutritionist to ensure that all the micronutrients remain in balance. Avoid over-supplementing with vitamins and minerals that the kidney must process and specifically ensure dietary phosphorus is limited or bound. Incidentally, keeping this in mind, the, the source, the natural source of vitamins and minerals is readily utilized by dogs, whereas the, uh, the synthetic stuff that is produced and put onto the products in dog food bags is, is considered foreign to the dog's body. It's meeting a legal requirement, but the dog's body doesn't respond to it the same as when it's in a natural way, any more than it does for us. We, we are better off to get our vitamin C and the source of foods rather than a tablet. And this is true for the dogs as well. Okay. Mild food-based phosphorus binding substances like chitin may help in early kidney disease. B vitamins may be depleted in animals for kidney disease. So periodic injections of B12, which can be difficult to absorb orally, and supplementing with food sources like brewer's yeast or other B vitamins has long been used to support these patients. And don't forget about the microbiome. This is a word we are hearing more and more and more frequently. And I just talked about that this morning with my veteran Kitty uh, about the microbiome. Oral probiotic supplements, unpasteurized goat milk or tripe can be added to your animal's diet to help promote the health of the kidneys. Now, capital N-O-W, registered trademark, Pets Kidney Support is made with botanicals, antioxidants, and taurine to safely offer supplement combinations that can make a difference for dogs and cats who need extra kidney support. So it's, again, we're talking in terms of the importance of prevention. And prevention is... And when it comes to nutrition, the prevention is feed species-specific food. There's nothing, there's no dog out there wandering through the cornfield. <laughs> it's not happening. And the cat certainly isn't. So that stuff is not species-specific in the way of providing nutrients. Now, dogs have actually developed a gene that allows them to better digest carbohydrates than their wolf cousins. And I find it so interesting that the pet feed, the pet feed industry then says, ah, oh, that means they need it. Ah, oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. Yes. That's a giant leap that they have evolved. The ability to better digest something does not mean they require it. They still have the same tooth structure. They still have the same gut structure that they did when they were wolves to the same extent that the meat is a better source of these nutrients than carbohydrates. So there you go. Whoa. Wow. Interesting, interesting, interesting. We got through a lot today, Charlotte. Good. All right. Let's see. We started off uh, talking about reverse sneezing, and this was from the Pet Med blog. Reverse sneezing. It's like a, when the dog has uh, an irritation on its soft palate, it does kind of like a reverse sneeze. It's not it's it's not unnatural. It's normal, but if it 
continues, it could be more of an issue than just reverse sneezing. Then also from Pet Food News and our great resource, Susan Thixton, uh, a story in Bloomberg News says that a big pet feed company is taking over little companies and buying them out for ridiculous amounts of money. Why are they doing that? Hmm, I wonder why. Next, uh, let's see. This was from Dog Food Advisor. The fat to protein ratio. We want to make sure that we have that right because we do not want to be giving our dogs too much fat. However, there's far more other worse things in that dry dog feed. Then from Pet Med, common misconceptions about cats and their affection. Cats are affectionate. And sometimes they can't be. Uh, as they say, uh, we need to learn the cats, our cats language of love. Uh, some of the things that they do to show our love, show their love for us is slow blinking. I like the headbutt one. I, I yeah, noticed that yeah. a lot. Headbutting is awesome. Uh, showing the belly, meowing, purring. A cat is much different than a dog and it needs to be treated different than a dog. And then next from companion animal psychology in Dr. Zazie Todd and Dr. Cronin. Let's see. Oh, yes. The new term we we learned today, contra freeloading. In other words, some animals like to work for their food and some animals do not like to work for their food. According to a study, cats are more often not willing to work for their food, <laughs> but, but they're conserving energy. So it, it's a survival tactic. That's totally understandable. And uh, let's see. Oh, five ways from Dr. Barbara Royal, five ways to improve kidneys. Uh, hydration, circulation support, appropriate food, anti-inflammatories, and paying attention to that microbiome. Wow, that is a lot of information. Thank you so much for all of it, Charlotte. <laughs> we really appreciate it. But before we go, do you have any last words for us? Yes. Christopher Marley says, no one appreciates the, the special genius of your conversation as the dog does. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And they look at you like, wow, really? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. Oh, goodness sakes. How'd you know that? <laughs> <laughs> to get your questions to us, just email livingwithyourdog at gmail.com. That's livingwithyourdog at gmail.com. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. Isn't that cool? Check out all the podcasts brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Finally, a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies. Whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot, arguments about who's the MVP of the film, or crit and lit about it, you'll find it all on Fields of Glory. Listen to the show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast, Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two horror movie enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones in the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to Watch No Evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on the Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project. 